Construction is a complex and risky business. It's the role of the construction manager to apply talent, technology, and other tools to help the project or the program for owners control their risk and achieve the goals of successfully completing the program or project. However, the goal of the successful project completion now includes the expectation of project closeout being free of disputes and claims. And while disputes and claims can threaten the project delivery, they can also impact capital planning for future projects as well. Joining Carly and I on the first episode of Season 2's Construction Leaders Podcast is CMA Fellow and Executive Vice President at Arcadis, Joe Siebel. And along with him is his colleague, Senior Vice President from Arcadis, Roy Cooper. Thank you, gentlemen, for taking the time out of your busy schedule to join us today. Our pleasure. Yeah, thank you. So when Carly and I were discussing the possible good topics for this season, we looked at some of the most popular topics that we get questions on. And at the top of the list always pops up that how to minimize disputes. And the first person that comes to mind when anyone thinks at CMA who we can get more information on claims and disputes is our good friend, Joe. So we wanted to invite you and Roy to the podcast today to discuss something that Arcadis has really been doing over 12 years now, and that's the annual report on construction disputes. And this year's report theme is successfully navigating through turbulent times. So Roy, can you provide us some insight on what the Global Construction Dispute Reports is and what information does the report provide about disputes in the industry? Sure, be happy to, Nick. So as you said, we've been running this report for 12 years, been very successful. And the aim of the report is just like you said, to help people navigate disputes, minimize them on their projects, right? Because they do affect what can happen with capital budgets. So over the past 12 years, what we've done is we've surveyed people throughout the industry to understand Hey, what affected you last year in regards to disputes on your projects and issues you may have had on your projects? So there's a series of questions that go out. Some of them are standardized from year to year because we like to look at trends with what's going on. And we'll talk about some of those further throughout this podcast, like the length of disputes to resolve those disputes, as well as the dispute values. In doing that, we look at that data, the trends back over the years and specifically to the year that we're in and that we just covered. And we look at the market conditions and where the industry is going. And then we try to provide real tangible things to participants that they can use to engage. And we'll talk about some of those as well, right? That they can help to minimize disputes. So we found that it's been a good tool for that. Um, we've seen people use it successfully and draw nuggets out of it. The great thing I think about it too, is it's not just people like Joe and I who are career-long dispute practitioners, you know, giving advice. We're soliciting uh, advice from the people in the trenches, right? The membership from CMA who's down in the trenches, attorneys as well, and other people throughout the industry to really help give a look forward for, for what's going on. And especially now, as the title suggests, navigating through turbulent times, right? And everybody knows probably tired of hearing about COVID, tired of hearing about supply chain, but it's really touched every aspect of our industry. I would add that there's a lot of value in, in taking a long view of what's happening in the industry specifically with respect to the disputes, because, you know, to be honest, almost 50 years ago when I got into this business, I was exposed to the, well, I'll say the newly emerging issue of, of construction claims. And it was very interesting to, to get involved with that. But frankly, at that time, I thought, well, 
surely the industry is not going to allow this to continue. It'll address and, and figure out a way to, to minimize claims and avoid claims. And I'll have to get a real job. Well, lo and behold, almost 50 years later, instead of claims going away, they have become sort of institutionalized. Whereas once upon a time, you had a claim on a project that was really an anomaly. That was an exception. Uh, and everybody noticed that. Now it's, I hate to say it, almost routine. It's just part of the business. So that long view of seeing what's causing claims and more importantly, what do you need to do? What can you do to avoid or resolve them? brings great value to everybody in the in the industry. And that's why I think the report gets such good readership. Yeah, that was a great overview of the report. So thank you for that. And now that we know what it's about, can we talk about the findings a little bit? Joe, do you want to start off and just talk about some of the significant findings for this report for this past year? And were the findings surprising to you or was it pretty much what you expected? Well, you know, that's a great question. And, and sometimes I, I wonder whether we sort of rationalize the results that we see, but I, I do think they make sense. So first to answer your question, we did hear from all the respondents that they were dealing with more disputes in sheer numbers uh, in 2021 than they were in the prior year of 2020. So does that surprise us? No. As, as Roy mentioned, there's so many things going on right now, the turbulent times of COVID, supply chain problems and the like. Not a surprise that there were more disputes being uh, handled in 2021. What might be interesting is, is that the what we call the value of dispute, the asking price, the starting price of it, decreased only slightly, so not a whole lot of change there. But also not surprising was that the length of time to resolve the disputes, so from the time they, the claim is submitted till the time the parties shake hands or they, they've received a judgment that closes the dispute, that time has increased. In my view, that information changes. Uh, of course, this is a global report, so from region to region, there are, there are subtle differences. But I think big picture of the number of disputes and the time to address them, and we'll get into this a, a little bit deeper, I think are a product of the issues that the industry was dealing with in 2021. You know, how do we address this incredible event of COVID and all of the consequential impacts there. And disputes are difficult to resolve to begin with. And when they're complicated by these once in a generation, once in a lifetime kind of events, that makes it even harder for them to deal. So Carly, that's kind of my view. Maybe Roy sees it a little bit differently. No, I see that. And then a couple other things going back. If you think about, you know, in loose terms, 2020 was the year of COVID, right? And 2021 is the year of supply chain. So in the 2020 report that addressed those findings, we saw that projects were experiencing impacts from COVID, but they hadn't really crystallized yet, right? People are still sorting out force majeure in their contracts, what's covered, what's not. And so people were kind of getting their arms around that. And then we saw in this year, when this report came out, that the COVID claims actually had crystallized. So fast forward to this year, I think the big thing is supply chain. And so what's covered under escalation clauses in the contract, what's not, and we found people trying to get their arms around that. So um, we may see more crystallized or formalized claims around supply chain moving forward. One thing I think that was not a surprise, I think it'll always remain because I think it's at the core of disputes. And I know it interests Joe a lot and it interests me, is the human element. There's always a cause 
when you talk about causes, when you look through the threads, there's always some kind of human behavioral element regarding the length of time that it takes to resolve a dispute, how a dispute is resolved, and just, you know, whether people are willing to make uh, good business deals and kind of swallow their pride a little bit, or if they want to fight. Frankly, that's been in the report for five years, and I don't know if that'll ever go away because the good thing about our business is there's humans in it and there's smart people. There's no half-built buildings and bridges out there, so our industry will figure out a way to get a project done. If we can figure all that out, we could probably resolve the dispute. So it really comes down to the willingness of the participants to move things ahead and resolve them as early as possible. Roy, you make a great point. And, you know, I think another part of what's of interest in our report is it isn't so much, oh, Misery Loves Company. Oh, I, I as an owner, I'm relieved to hear that uh, many other owners are, are suffering the same kind of problems. There's no relief there. I think the greater part of interest in the report is what are the parties doing to effectively resolve their disputes? And as Roy says, it's, you know, it's the human element. And because of the challenging claims that they're dealing with, you know, be they COVID, supply chain impacts and the like, would it surprise anybody that face-to-face party-to-party negotiations turned out to be the most effective way to resolve disputes? And I'm not surprised by that because it really takes two people sitting, if you will, face-to-face and saying, look, We've got a challenge here to resolve this dispute. Are we going to submit it to a third party to tell us how to work it out? Or can we find an equitable resolution between the two of us? So I think the fact that the industry was faced with such challenging conditions and circumstances sort of reinforces the point Roy just made about the human element and how people working together can resolve those disputes. Yeah, Joe, that's a really good point. And I think we'll address that a little more as the podcast goes on. But I want to talk a little bit about trends. And since this is the 12th year that you've done the report and you talked about the benefit of doing it year after year. So what are the trends that you have seen across the years? Yeah, I'll start it out. We talked about the human element, right? And a lot of the top causes is always a failure to properly document and submit claims. And that keeps coming back. But I think our industry has gotten better. Owners now have more robust claims, we'll call them administration processes in their contracts where they lay out, here's how we're going to go about resolving a dispute. Here's what you have to provide. Here's how we're going to review it. Here's the forums that we're going to have, whether it be a DRB or mandatory mediation, whatever it might be to resolve them. And as well, we've seen the industry get better at what's required of the contractor for a claim. So like in the old days, as Joe was talking about earlier and earlier in my career, oh, a claim would just come in with where the contractor saw fit to put in that claim, right? And how damages might be defined. And so that has been more robustly defined in contracts. And that certainly has helped things. But, you know, one of the trends that we've really seen as well, talking about finances now, and I think Joe alluded to this earlier, is that we've seen dispute values go up. And so what we're finding, at least in the work that we do and the respondents that we talk to, is that while we have these processes, our industry now has bigger projects, more complicated projects with more participants. Materials are more complicated. The way things are constructed is more complicated. You have more people involved than when we talked about People are at the heart of disputes a lot of times. So when you have all those things, it requires more coordination. And so we're finding when you take that bigger projects going into bigger programs, 
that dispute values rise because when things go bad and disputes aren't resolved, they really go bad, right? So we end up, instead of a lot of the, the more minor disputes, we've seen the trend go up that the values are going up because of, we'll call it the mega dispute that doesn't get resolved and that the participants ultimately have to deal with. Another trend that we've seen is that the dispute length has really stayed kind of constant over the years. It's been in the 14 to 16 month range. It's gone up a little bit here and there. And the question that I get a lot is, man, that seems like a long time, 16 months to resolve a dispute. Well, it is. And they will say, is that a bad thing? And I go, well, not necessarily, because if you think about it, if we're in a dispute, Carly and I, for instance, it's probably better if we say, okay, we can't resolve this now. Let's go back and I'll take a look at my position. Carly takes a look at her position and we come back two months later, right? And so then we talk again. And um, that's because parties are adverse to litigation. You don't control your own destiny. So oftentimes it's better to go back, take a second look. Maybe if mediation fails on the first try, and maybe you come back in a couple months and try it again. And people are willing to try and try over and over to resolve the dispute. So, you know, the, the fact that that dispute length has not necessarily gone down over the years, I don't necessarily think is a bad thing. Roy, I agree with you. I would, I would also add, you know, in years past, and it was sort of conventional wisdom that when the economy was slow, claims activity picked up because contractors weren't certain or, or necessarily at the next job to go to. So they were going to, and I don't mean this in a pejorative sense, squeeze every penny they could out of the project they're on. If they felt they were entitled to another dime, by golly, they were going to chase it. And when the economy was robust and, and they had plenty of backlog, they were less inclined to, in, you know, I'll say, spend a lot of time and resources chasing a nickel or a dime because they could make dollars on the next project. And I think that continues to be true. We're in that sort of inflection point right now where I think there's plenty of work out there, but there are a lot of unpredictable forces and risks and contractors are, they're, they're challenged right now to, to make sure they've got a good price on a project because they don't know what's going to happen with COVID. They don't know what's going to happen with the supply chain and all these other things. So they're still being, I'll say, a little more aggressive or protective of their potential claim rights. Uh, because they're not really sure, you know, where they're going to end up on this project, never mind the next one. So, but, you know, that's sort of a long view of, uh, of trends and in the claims and construction industry. Let's take a quick break and hear from our sponsor, the Construction Manager Certification Institute. Today's ANSI accredited certified construction manager brings professionalism to the project and provides leadership by unifying architects, general contractors, engineers, and facility managers to successfully complete the project. The CCM is familiar with the latest techniques and technologies of construction, from prefabrication to building information modeling. He or she thoroughly understands sustainable design and construction, how projects are financed, and how risks can be minimized and effectively shared. The Certified Construction Manager is a communicator, a facilitator, a problem solver, a professional leader. Certified Construction Managers have the proven knowledge and experience to deliver all these values for every project. Make the CCM part of your strategy for success. For more information on the Certified Construction Manager, please visit cmcertification.org. I find it very interesting to see the correlation between the economy and these claims and disputes. That I find intriguing. The other thing, though, you know, you said, Joe, earlier that it's 
part of the business and part of the business is working with the owner. And in the report, it mentions a common question that an owner typically asks are, how much will this cost my project and how can I limit the exposure of possible disputes for material price increases and delays? I mean, you guys in the report give some of those answers uh, of what should be said. Can you elaborate on what that answer is and why that's the answer? Sure. I'll give you a philosophical answer, Nick, and that is it's almost absolutely certain that whatever the price of that or the fair value of that claim is today, it's only going up. And I say that to mean time is of the essence, typically in the resolution of a dispute. Now, I know Roy said a moment ago, sometimes the parties can't resolve, they're put in the side, focus on the project, but by and large, everybody wants to address and resolve the dispute as promptly as possible. Even if the asking price at that point makes you choke and, and hiccup. But I assure you, the price isn't going to go down. So, you know, the, I'll say the first piece of advice or a recommendation is addressing that dispute as quickly as possible, you know, diving into the details, understanding what the contractor is asking. You know, like Roy said before, again, it involves people. And sometimes you need a new look, a new perspective from somebody else who hasn't been so close to the issue or the dispute that they've already taken a position. They're kind of stuck in that in what their opinion is. And, and you bring a fresh objective in. And before too long, it begins to become a business decision, right? If claims were so black and white, there wouldn't be people like us. It wouldn't be a job for us doing this. There's a lot of gray in there, which means that you have to weigh your position and the strengths of your position versus you know the other side's strengths and, and try to put a number on what's fair, what is it going to cost me to continue to prosecute or litigate this claim? How does it impact my business? How does it impact my relationship with this contractor? How does it impact my relationship with the contracting community that they might look at me and say, Boy, you end up with a claim with this owner and it's going to take you three years to resolve it. You won't be happy. You'll never bid their work again. So all of those things factor into the, I want to say the mindset, not only of the contractors, but but of the owners as well in how they try to address the resolution of a dispute. I would add on that, you know, and this goes into a prevention thing, I guess, but that the dispute resolution process starts when the claim comes in. Well, that's not so, right, on a project. Effective dispute resolution really starts during the design phase, right? And it's identifying the potential risks that I have on my project, whether that be now, like with supply chain, even down to things like PVC pipe, which we're seeing on projects, you know, you would think, well, man, I can just go down to Home Depot, more or less, and buy PVC pipe. Well, that's not the case. We're seeing months and months of delay on things like PVC pipe. So it's all the parties getting together at the beginning and understanding collectively, here's what could really bite my project, you know, and addressing those things early before the claims start, you know, and on the contractor side and the owner side, having good document management processes, good change management, all those things really play into effective dispute resolution. And they start well before there's any whiff of any claim. Sounds like that makes a case for the CM being involved in the project as early as possible, right? To help with things like that? Boy, absolutely. I will tell you, and hopefully there are owners listening to this podcast, don't wait to bring your CM on board until you have a contractor. And you need your construction manager in as early as possible to help you manage the successful outcome of your project. And your project includes the design phase 
And of course, all of the things that Roy just described, so many important decisions are made before the first shovel hits the ground. And in some ways, they sort of, the die is cast as a consequence of those decisions. So an ounce of prevention, as they say, is a worth a pound of cure here, absolutely. So Joe, since you're speaking to owners um, in your last comment, what advice would you offer to owners who are involved in these capital programs and they want to avoid, mitigate, and resolve disputes? I'm assuming you don't have the magic bullet to completely eliminate them, but what advice would you give them? Well, the first thing I would recommend to them is uh, to get a copy of the uh, claims management guidelines published by CMAA, because that really does speak to that, I'll call it cradle to grave approach of avoiding, mitigating, and resolving disputes. Some examples of that is from day one in the planning and through the design phase is not only looking for the, of course, the best design solution, but you know, fully understanding what the uh, attended risks cost, schedule impacts are that are associated with all of those design decisions and being prepared for what might come of those. So it may be a situation where an owner's got to have a particular product or, or material and there's some risk attached to it. Have your contingency plan in place. And then of course, have the, the right delivery method in mind with the right contract documents. You owners, you cannot create a contract that is claims proof, that every risk has been allocated to the contractor and there'll be no situation or circumstance where the contractor might not be entitled to additional compensation. There's no such thing. You know, that's that's the nature of construction. Construction is a sequence of unpredictable events that get managed to a successful completion. So understanding that and instead having a contract that enables both parties to make good business decisions and resolve business disputes is critical as well. And then of course, in the construction phase, staying on top with information, making good decisions in a timely fashion, not prolonging delays is, is I think, it sounds like common sense. Too often, I'm sorry to say, emotions uh, get in the way or uh, not understanding what, you know, what the consequences of an action might be that opens the door to a potential dispute. Roy, what do you think? Yeah, one thing I would say to owners is, and I think, again, we've gotten better at this as an industry, but in the past, maybe not so much. And that's paying attention during the design phase right? And having accurate cost estimates that tie to schedules and not like a schedule during the design phase. Well, you know, here's a three line item Gantt chart or bar chart, right? That's going to lay out how much time we need for this project. And then we're going to put it on the contractor to deliver it. Really investing the time during that design phase to have good cost estimates, good contract time determination schedules, Tying those two together so that when you do go and you start looking at the risks, as Joe was talking about, you have good tools that you can do that, and you have a better understanding when the shovels hit the ground of what it's going to take to get the job done on time and on budget. Roy, can you let us know what the top causes of disputes are, and particularly in North America? I know this is a global report, but for North America specifically, what, what are those top causes of disputes? The top causes in North America were poorly drafted or incomplete and unsubstantiated claims. And then we also have errors and omissions in the contract documents. And then we had a tie number three between owner contractor subs failing to understand or, or comply with contractual obligations and then owner directed changes. 
So when you think about those causes, I would argue that most of them, at least poorly drafted or incomplete and unsubstantiated claims, that has a bit of the human element in it, right? Because it's probably in the contract what I need to do and somebody just decided not to do it or not to read the contract. And then, you know, that third one, owner or contractor sub failing to understand or comply with its contractual obligations. Again, probably just not understanding the contract. You know, it's it's amazing, I think, in a lot of disputes that we look at and it comes around year after year after year and you just don't know why that Joe or I will say, well, where's your contract? And they're like, well, it's kind of over here buried, <laughs> buried under a stack of other binders, right? So, you know, we always say to people, know your contract, to the owner, to the contractor, know what it says and know what you have to do to comply with that. And then arrows and omissions in the contract documents. We see that still coming around. It makes its way onto the list year after year. And we've seen that budgets get squashed with design budgets and things like that. And like I was talking about earlier, you know, projects are more complicated now. So that plays into it as well. So those were your top three causes for this year. Yeah, well, I want to talk about errors and omissions. Again, one of my uh, my favorite stories. You know, if you were to take the same project today, you're building today, if you go back, you know, even 30 years, 40 years ago, and you look at the plans and specs for that project, oh, if you stack them up, maybe it was a couple inches high, right? And the project got built back then. Uh, there weren't any claims, uh, and contractor had all the information that they need. Same project today, the plans, the specs, and all the other special reports that comprise the contract documents, it could be a foot high when stacked up. Well, wait a minute. What is it that we need to say today to build that project that that wasn't necessary 30 or 40 years ago? And, and you know, my view is it was a different world and the rules were different. You know, there were, there were provisions in the contract that spoke to the intent of the contract and said things like, and if something needed to be provided to complete the installation, it is assumed that you would provide that at no additional cost. And contractors under, all understood it the same way, bid it the same way. Today, the rules have changed completely. And I'll say the fundamental premise is, if it's not shown in the contract, you don't get it because that's the way it is now. So an error and omission today was something that wasn't viewed as an error or omission 30 or 40 years ago, because the, like I say, the interpretation or intent of the contract was, was understood differently. So that's certainly fueled the increase in disputes because in, in so many words, plans and specs have, have got to be perfect in order to not have a claim. Well, I think we're still human, which means we're never going to accomplish something that is perfect, which means automatically, I suppose that there's going to be a claim. So those are the unfortunate changes in, in how the industry has interpreted contract documents. It's very interesting because I don't think any of that's going to change in the near future. You know, I could go on about this all day. You guys have so much good information in these reports, but I have time for one more question. So I'm going to direct this towards you, Joe, but Roy, feel free to jump in here too. And you mentioned earlier that the overall findings saw the average value disputes decreased slightly from 2020 to 2021, and that you expect to see this increase in 2022. Can you give us some insight? You already did about 2022, but what we might be able to expect in your crystal ball for 2023? Well, Nick, I, I don't like to be pessimistic, but I'm not seeing solutions to some of the issues and challenges the industry is facing yet. 
I think we're catching up with some of the supply chain issues. Uh, there's potentially another variant of COVID coming. Who, who knows how that will impact how people can work. So I, I would expect that having not overcome the current challenges will continue to impact projects. And understandably, contractors will say, I did not bid this project. I did not give you a price, assuming that we were going to have to deal with all of these issues. And I think most owners understand that and are trying to sit down. So I would expect that we won't see what I'll call improvements in terms of fewer claims, smaller claims, claims that are more easily resolved in 2023. I'm sorry to say that uh, I I think we still got a a little more climbing to do before the economy and, you know, better conditions enable contractors to be a little more successful and focused on the work. Roy, what do you think? Yeah, I'd add one more thing in there in that you think about supply chain, but it's it's the cost associated with those materials, right? I had a colleague who did a renovation on his house in 2018. He paid $5 for a two by six, eight. And then if you fast forward to 2021, uh, that same two by six was $15. So if you think about that, that's happening throughout the industry, right? And, and things have come down a little bit in the last few months, but we've been tracking what's been happening with those material prices. And it's no secret to anybody, right? Like I said, just walk into Home Depot and, and if you want to buy a two by four to build a doghouse, you're feeling it, that they've gone through the roof. Well, contrast that with, Contractor bids have not kept the same pace. So where's the money coming from? If the contractors are bidding the same, but they're paying more for their materials, margins are tighter, they're bidding work with tighter or maybe even no margins. So what is that going to look like, you know, in two years when the project's done or, you know, they're in a bad position on those projects, right? What does that look like for disputes? And I think that's really what I'm interested to see this year after and the year after when we survey our respondents. Well, gentlemen, I want to thank you again for your time today and joining us and for Arcadis to for providing this great resource on disputes. And you can find all Arcadis's global construction dispute reports on the Arcadis website, www.arcadis.com. All you have to do is go under the Knowledge Hub and search for global construction disputes. These reports are really absolutely amazing. And the most amazing part about it is that they're all free to download. So I encourage everyone to go take a look at these and see all this information. And they have charts and things for for days. Please go and take a look at those, download those. On episode two of this season's Construction Leaders podcast, we'll be joined by Dan Dion from Maximum Consulting Group to talk to us about what seems to be a consultant event that the construction world is always facing, and that's mergers and acquisitions. And Dan is going to provide us with some insight on navigating through M&A processes. Make sure to download and subscribe to the podcast and follow us on social media at CMA underscore HQ. And don't forget to leave us a review with your thoughts of today's episode and let us know what you'd like to hear on an upcoming podcast. On behalf of CMA, I'm Nick Soda with Carly Trout. Thank you for listening.